ticking down the days till the granddaddy of them all. That's right. I'm back. It is time for the 11 Dubcast. And, and while I was on, I guess, a brief pause last week while traveling to the AKC National Championship dog shows in Orlando, my man Chris Louderback filled in admirably. So we brought Chris back while Johnny Ray Ginner takes a week off. I guess we'll do a little holiday shuffle. Chris, thanks for coming back and filling in for Johnny this week. So lots to talk about last week. You guys had a great show. As we gear closer and closer to the Rose Bowl itself, you know, one of the things I've been thinking about is I, I hear people talk about this game. Maybe it's because the age of opt-outs and we're still waiting to see what Ohio State players will or won't play in this big bowl game to cap what has been uh, you know, an up and down season of sorts for a Buckeye football program that's playoff or bust these days. Uh, but as I hear more and more people, including my partner in crime, Johnny Ginner, talk about this as kind of a consolation prize game which is much different from how it was when you and I were growing up. I want Absolutely. to get your feel for the Rose Bowl today. Like, do you have do you have any great Rose Bowl memories or any strong feelings about this one individual bowl game? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, obviously the playoff landscape has changed what a Rose Bowl will mean. I mean, there's no doubt about it. We can wax poetic and, and I still think there's some value in a Rose Bowl. Don't get me wrong, but definitely the luster is is off of it unless it's, you know, going to be in a, in, a, in a playoff rotation kind of thing. But I mean, you know, for me, I can remember remember a couple growing up, but obviously the Jermaine to David Boston, you know, game was, was the big one for sure against, uh, you know, Jake Plummer and what that game, you know, kind of meant for a program that was struggling to win bowl games obviously struggling to beat Michigan that was you know kind of those one of those instant classic kind of games that you felt like Ohio State normally would lose um, so that that's probably the one that sticks out to me above all others I, I mean I, that's probably the, the the greatest one of our you know of our generation that I could like could remember right I mean I was born in 73 so some of those clashes you know way back in the day um, I wasn't you know wasn't old enough to really remember those obviously yeah, but I sure. mean is that is that the one that sticks out for you or yeah I, I mean I think the same thing what I find interesting about this game is like I I have all of those as as you said wax poetic I have all of that nostalgia in me maybe it's maybe I'm just a poet at heart I don't know but I I love this game <laughs> for what it has meant and it, and it bothers me a lot that there's a generation of us now who don't get that. And I, you know, I guess you could say time and change. Uh, that's just the way it is. Time marches right. on and, mm -hmm. and, and now it's, it's the playoff. One of the things I think about as we talk about playoff expansion, which I think is inevitable in some format or another is, is there a way for the system as it currently stands to, to allow a game like the Rose Bowl to still have meaning if it isn't a semifinal or, or championship game is, is, is the ship has the ship already long since sailed the genie out of the bottle. Will the Rose Bowl ever get its mojo back? Not, not as a standalone game, not tied to the playoff, right? Because, I mean, if they expand, that's only going to water down yeah. what it could mean even more, right? I mean, if it's, you know, a 12-team playoff, now you're talking about, even even if you got rid of the Big Ten, packed, you know, and, and Pac-12 conference, you know, tie-ins or whatever, which I think is obviously a huge, you know, that is the history of it, right? But even if you were just trying to get the two best teams, 
if this expands to eight and you're getting the ninth and 10th best teams or it expands to 12 and you're getting the 13th and 14th, if you're lucky, right? Like above all else, I don't see how that doesn't drastically water down the, you know, what it means over the long haul. And I mean, it is, you know, it's a bit of a bummer, but I I think it's, you know, at the end of the day, college football has been marching to something like this for so long that, you know, it's inevitable. I don't, um, you know, I don't love it for the Rose bowl per se, but I think it's, this, this train's not slowing down, right? I mean, the fighting over the money and things like that with Sankey and the commission, that'll slow it down a little bit, but it's inevitable, obviously, that the Rose Bowl is only going to mean less going forward as far as a standalone game, right? Yeah, I totally agree. And and it, 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 it breaks my heart because of all of that great tradition and history. And, and yet, unless uh, they decide to make the Rose Bowl the permanent national championship game which ain't going to happen you know it's you're, you're exactly right it's going to be meaningful to the teams playing in it for a playoff when it's in that rotation and i hadn't really thought about the the aspect of it being further watered down until you said it but as we expand you're right i, I wonder do do fans and other fan bases in other parts of the country in other words outside of the big 10 or the pac-12 fan but do they have those same feelings about the cotton bowl or the orange bowl or the fiesta bowl. I, I mean, do the, do, do, is this just a really weird big 10 pack 12 artifact of history? Do you think, uh, you know, being a Midwesterner, I guess it's a little hard for me to say, but yeah, I, were... I, I, I wonder about that. Like, I just, I don't know. I've never talked to a, say an Alabama fan or, or somebody who's like, Oh my gosh. Yes. I remember these great sugar bowl games when I was a kid. Right. I, yeah, I doubt it. Right. Like, I, I don't know. It feels like this one, probably, you know, the Rose bowl itself probably stands alone. I mean, hence the, the granddaddy of them all. I mean, yeah. it was, you know, called that for a reason, obviously. So I, I don't know, but I guess I would say as a silver lining for you. Cause I mean, I get it right. Like, we, we grew up and that was, that was the you know, the bowl you wanted a high estate to go to. And obviously our parents, that was absolutely the game that, you know, hell, if you didn't go there, you didn't go to a bowl kind of thing for, for a really long time. So mm-hmm. if it can be tied to the, you know, to the playoff, obviously, which it will, um, you'll still be able to think about the history. It just won't be big 12. It, it won't be big 10 versus, you know, pac 12 history. Obviously it'll gain new history as it's, you know, but that will at least help preserve, you know, oh, there's, there's OJ Simpson and there's, you know, all these things that have happened in the Rose bowl over time. OJ. Cause that's I'm one thing the Rose bowl, I think is really good at. It's kind of like, you know, like people hate the Yankees or, you know, what, what, whatever your feelings are on Jack Daniels or whatever. Some of these like legacy, like brands or whatever. One of the reasons they do that is that they're constantly reminding you of their history. And I think that's something the Rose bowl does, you know, does pretty good at as well with the parade and the different things that they do. So if they're going to be able to add new chapters, but just look a little bit different than, you know, what, what really made the Rose bowl, the Rose bowl, it'll, you know, it's, it's still going to obviously live on and thrive. It's just going to look a little different. Well, let's turn the page on the nostalgia and talk about the game itself. One of the most important things in determining who's going to win a football is the personnel on the field. Uh, I think a lot of us are waiting on pins and needles and we're just days away from Christmas now, which means we're getting down to the short rows. I mean, under two weeks really from this game being a reality and wondering who all is going to be on the field when it happens. We got a little bit of clarity <laughs> about that the, the, this week. Not, not a ton, but uh, Thayer Munford, Tyreek Smith, Zach Harrison, Dewan Jones, Cam Brown, all ones who confirm they will play in the Rose bowl that, that, and I don't know how many of those you did or didn't expect to say, nah, man, I'm off to the league. Peace out homies. I'm not playing. Uh, but certainly some important pieces of the puzzle there. 
Yeah, no, I, th- I think it's pretty meaningful. I think, um, you know, Tyreek Smith playing is one where I thought maybe he would, you know, he would probably keep it moving and just start preparing for the draft. I think Cam Brown not only coming back for this game, but saying that he's coming back, you know, next year, I think is a pretty, well, a pretty huge. big development at all, you know, especially thinking about, you know, Eli Ricks was someone Ohio State, you know, kind of kicked the tires on and, you know, apparently didn't want for chemistry reasons or, or whatever it was, right, depending on what you read. And then lo and behold, he shows up on Alabama's doorstep. So I know that was tough for some Ohio State fans to swallow, but yeah, I think a Cam Brown coming back is going to be pretty important, especially as you think about Seven Banks, who was already behind Cameron Brown in the pecking order. You know, saying, "Hey, this is probably you know the Rose Bowl is probably his last game, so he's going to play." Um, but yeah, I think the the Cam Brown was a big one for me, but not surprised at some of the other guys. I mean, if Munford even came back this year, even doing that seemed like a stretch. You know, last year at this time, so the fact that he's um, you know going to play in the Rose Bowl seems logical when he when he already came back for a whole season when maybe you thought he wouldn't the two guys of course who get the most amount of speculation would be uh, first round wide receivers Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave you know Johnny if he were here would say it makes absolutely no sense in the world whatsoever for those two guys to play in this game uh, and I would say I, I probably, if I were going to bet the farm on its day, would bet that they're not playing in the game. But I want you to make the argument just, just for the sake of, of uh, making an argument. Make the argument for me as to why one or both of those future first rounders, soon to be first rounders, should play in the Rose Bowl game. Can you make the argument or is Johnny right that Nah, take your, you know, take take yourself into pure draft prep and count your bonus. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, what would I say, right? Like I was thinking of something snarky, like I'm not very smart, so I'm going to play in the Rose Bowl. <laughs> like I can't think of a of a good reason. I mean, I say this all the time, but kids go to college to prepare for their career, whether it's an accounting career or a dentist or, or whatever it's going to be, right? You go to school to prepare for your career. It just so happens that these guys, it works a little bit differently and they are, they are, they are ready. Like there's, there's no test left for them to pass that means that they would be NFL, you know, that they would be ready for their profession. So the, the risk versus reward, especially when you're talking about first round guys, these aren't, you know, third rounders that could, you know, maybe move up a couple more spots or something like that put a little something extra on film like they really have nothing to gain and everything to lose so i just i don't know how you and and even a lot of coaches have changed over time right like you want your guys to play and even days like i'm expecting everybody to play no he's not like behind closed doors i'm sure he's even you know like hey guys (laughs) this this probably isn't the smartest thing for you to play i don't don't know exactly how he would say you know how he would say that but i mean you 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 want to be able to trust your coach on on what is right i can't imagine heartline would be saying hey i think it'd be really great for you guys to play another you know 60 snaps or whatever i just that would make zero sense to me and it's interesting you know on the one hand i mean there's a real trade-off here if if you're a coach i'm going to take the players out of it for for a moment on the one hand you want very badly if you're ryan day to win this game right because you don't want to go out on a two-game losing streak right you don't want to end the year that way and we can say oh this game doesn't mean anything blah 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 but you and i both know it does in terms of perception if ohio state after losing to its hated arch rival also loses in the rose bowl that's not a great look going into the offseason on the other hand if you're ryan day and you have 47 players in the room who because ohio state seems to have just an insane amount of wide receiver talent 
if you have all these guys in the room who believe they too are future first rounders, getting them some reps here, uh, that's valuable, right? So where do you draw the, the line of the trade-off of dang, I need those two guys to win this game. And we're going to talk about Utah in a minute versus, Hey, it's going to be all right to get some of these other guys, more live reps in, in a big game to get them ready to be the future Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson next year. Right. Right. Yeah. And again, I think that's where day and Hartline have to be honest about the situation to me, if it's anything it's, I would want to know from those guys as soon as possible. I'm sure day already knows from, you know, day already knows what everybody else thinks, right. That these two aren't going to play, but you want to know that as soon as bowl practice is starting, right. Because you need to make sure that reps aren't being, um, you know, used, on those guys when they need to be, you know, done with the Egg Buka and Marvin Harrison Jr. and uh, Jaden Ballard, Julian Fleming, you know, all those other guys, right? So I think that's probably the biggest key is understanding what the deal is. Like, hey, do you guys want to play a little? Do you want to play none? You know, where are you at? And knowing that, you know, again, if I had to bet the mortgage, it's, you know, play none, then you, you want to know as quickly as possible so those guys can start getting those reps. I mean, this is, this is like free practice time. Like you said, I don't think nobody at Ohio State wants to lose this game obviously and go out you know on a two-game losing streak just like you said but I do think in this game you're also going to see a lot of guys play you know that like we've seen in past years right like you've got finally got to see Von Bell after Pitt Brown was hogging his snaps one whole year basically right like the bowl practice play you know got got a lot of reps and then played a little bit more in the bowl game um, I think those are this can be a springboard for a lot of guys obviously that's not a groundbreaking uh, you know, statement. And I think for those receivers in particular, if you know that Alave and Wilson aren't going to be there, then, Hey, let's get these guys, you know, primed and ready. Let's make sure they've got as many reps as possible with CJ Stroud and know that even with those guys, plus Jackson Smith and Jigba is obviously going to play that, that still gives you a, a very legit, very threatening wide receiver core, even if Chris Alave and Garrett Wilson don't play, which is obviously a testament to Heartline's development and Ryan Day and Heartline's recruiting ability. Still kind of floors me that uh, Brian Hartline wasn't a finalist for the Broyles Award this year. I just look at that, what he has done with that wide receiver room. And I mean, there's been a few years now, I've been a big Larry Johnson stand. It's like, man, that's the best to ever do it. He's, he's worth his weight in gold. And I look at Hartline, I'm like, doggone. Heartline, Heartline <laughs> is to wide receivers. He is what LJ has been. To, now the difference being that LJ has been doing it for about seven hundred years, but uh, and and Heartline still what you would call an up and coming coach. But my God, from recruiting on through to development, and we've seen what's happened when you've had in the not so distant past a wide receiver coach who was maybe decent at recruiting and not so good at teaching the position. Now you've got the best of both worlds. It's it, absolutely. It, it's mind-blowing and fun to watch all at the same time. All right, so looking at the game itself, uh, how nervous are you or excited are you about the matchup with Utah? And I ask that in the context of having just read the film study by Kyle Jones at 11warriors.com, a fine website that y'all should be reading, uh, that, that basically lays out a case that this is the kind of offense Ohio State would rather not see <laughs> right now at this time in its development as a defense. So, so with that context in mind, how are you feeling about this matchup with Utah? Yeah, I, I, I don't feel great. I mean, I'll, I'll definitely say that because I, I think a lot of bowl games come down to who wants it more. And I, I just, 
I know Ohio State players are saying all the right things, and that's all well and good. And I, I don't think they're just going to go over there and roll over. Don't get me wrong, but I think Utah is definitely looking at a chance to beat Ohio State with a whole different level of piss and vinegar than Ohio State's looking at Utah, saying, "Oh, we got to beat these guys." Right? Like, honestly, it wasn't even until maybe this last go round the pressers where you finally started hearing a little bit. I mean, even the media is like still asking about the Michigan game and the comments from Michigan players and and just all that stuff. Right. And I think finally there were a couple guys um, saying, Hey, yeah, really don't want to talk about that. Focus is on Utah kind of thing. And it's like, what better be? Cause I can tell you what Utah has been focusing on Ohio state since a moment that it was announced that those two were going to tangle. Right. I mean, there's, there's so much more for Utah to, to win in this game than there is for Ohio state i think that above all else um gives me a little bit of cause for pause just because you know bowl games that aren't playoff games or whatever it, it comes a lot of times it doesn't come down to just talent it's hey who who really 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 wants to be there and i'm not suggesting high state doesn't obviously they'd rather be in the playoff but you know that they still need to they still need to show up but no there's gonna be changes on defensive side of the ball knowing that Utah really wants to, you know, run it at you. Like you saw, like you referenced in Kyle Jones's uh, film study, a lot of two tight ends, hell three tight ends, that kind of thing where they're going to try to run it down your throat. And if you're not interested in trying to stop that, and oh, by the way, you just showed against Michigan, you weren't able to stop that. I think that's the kind of thing that could, you know, potentially give Ohio State trouble, not just in trying to whether or not they can stop the run, but if they can't, that also keeps Ohio State's offense off the field, which is some of what we saw, you know, up in Ann Arbor, um, where you know Michigan was, you know, they, they would have played keep away if they didn't score so fast running right down right. Ohio State's throat every now and then. So I think that, um, you know, it doesn't line up perfectly. I haven't thought about it enough to say, oh yeah, I think Utah's going to win, or you know, or not kind of thing. I think Ohio State's a favorite for a reason, but boy, they they better be meaning what they're saying as far as focusing on Utah because I, I don't think there's any question utah is working very hard to figure out the best way to be a high estate right there's a part of me that hopes that all of that extra attention on the michigan game uh the particularly the comments from josh gaddis about this team being soft mm-hmm. and and that god you know god bless the bulletin boards uh you you hope that maybe those kind of things will give and i like the phrase you use because it's one i employ that that this Ohio State team will have a little piss and vinegar to it because it sure didn't look 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 charm and soft uh, in Ann Arbor. You you hope that maybe you know pride on the line because that's about all it is comes to bear versus Utah. Where I can't get square in my own head yet, so I'm curious to what you think because I, I totally agree with that, right? But it, it's to me, it's like okay, is Ohio State ready to? respond to that commentary in this Rose Bowl or are they thinking more about next year when they play Michigan right just because again I'm not sure if the motivation is going to match what you're hearing uh, as far as I'm saying all the right thing not saying it won't I just I can't get my head just totally around that yet this team was not planning on playing you know their next game not in the playoff do do, do you think they're going to come out with their hair on fire because of you know comments that Gaddis or others you know may have made or how they looked in that game period right it's time to respond to that performance do you think you'll see that here or is that something more for next year I mean I I, I it's a great question I think about it not just in terms of the players but the coaching staff as well particularly that defense which is the side of the ball we're we're concerned about relative to to the matchup because I'm sitting here thinking, gosh, okay, one of these guys is out of a job. Uh, you know, we haven't really gotten the full story here. We know we have a new defensive coordinator, but 
there's one too many cooks in the kitchens kitchens now. So, <laughs> you know, if I'm Al Washington, if I'm uh, Carrie Combs, if I'm, you know, wh- like how, what's my mind like going into this game? What, what's, what's life like in practice and in the room with these guys are, is everybody aligned and on the same page about going out and coaching and playing like your hair's on fire, you know, and, and Ryan day, I thought said some really good things in terms of, Hey, we're going to, we're going to turn the page and it's a brand new uh, day, January 2nd mm-hmm. relative to Knowles coming in. And you guys talked about that a bit last week on the, on the show while I was gone. Uh, but I have the same question you have, not just about the players, but about the staff and where their mind is right now. And that's and how, interesting. Just because I, I find this whole transition, you know, cause this is a very different transition from one where, Hey, you're, you're out of it and we have a total staff change or, Hey, we've already announced that so-and-so is leaving. I mean, I think it's sort of been assumed for a long time that Combs is gone, but is that really what's going to happen? I don't know. What's, what's going to happen afterward and how does all of that play in? You know, I could see a world where Kerry Combs stays on to coach backs and, now Washington's gone because the linebackers have stunk. I could see a world where Combs is gone because he's not going to take a demotion and Washington's maybe there's somebody, maybe there are two or three guys leaving and there are additional hires that are going to happen after Knowles comes in mm-hmm. and installs his own staff. I, I, I have lots of questions. So related to exactly what you said about the players, like, are they focused on this game or are they thinking ahead to next season? I got the same question with the staffing. And I think those two things, if, if, the staff, if Ryan Day and his assistants and the individuals executing on the defensive side of the ball in particular, I have no worries about the offense, but on the defense, even after our big discussion about <laughs> two key wide receivers being gone, mm-hmm. I'm not concerned about the offense at all. They're going to be fine. But if that defense of that side of the ball isn't in alignment and aren't ready to pull their big boy pants on and go out there and hit somebody, it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Kyle's got Kyle's got me at DEFCON 2 here. Uh, John, we'll have to get Johnny to do a threat level Utah guess. <laughs> <laughs> threat level is definitely elevated in my mind. It's interesting what you say about the coaches. I'm not, um, that didn't really cross my mind so much. Not saying I, you know, completely disagree with where you're coming from at all, but I, I don't know. I guess I look at the coaches a little bit differently, whether it's Washington or Combs specifically, right? I, mean, I think those are the two. You're right. Yeah. Anything could happen. Larry Johnson could retire. I mean, there's there's other God, things. Don't that put could that out in the universe. Don't put just the- saying <laughs> things could happen, right? So yeah. Yeah. just just knowing that, I guess I just felt like you know, at the salary they make and whatever. I'm I'm not really in the just you know age experience that kind of thing. I'm not really expecting. Not that you're saying they, that coaches would mail it in. Not not trying to put words in your mouth, but I think those. Oh I no, mean, I, I mean, I'll, is, I'll, I'll say that. Look, I mean, I. I worked with a guy one time who retired three years before he actually left the job, you know, like you, yeah, you know, you've, yeah, you've got, I've worked with people like that, that when one foot's out the door or, you know, you're writing your resume or you've turned in your two week notice and you know, those aren't your most productive days. On no, the it's job. totally fair. Totally fair. And, and Combs, I mean, has been a little bit of dead man walking for months now. Months, and de- months. Day, day has been, complimentary of you know what he's you know continued to do for that staff and i mean he's it's not like he's a mercenary that just got to ohio state i guess we could talk about al washington a little bit but like a comb specifically yeah. someone who just 
I mean, you know, just, just wakes up with a certain passion that, you know, you or I probably struggle, or at least I, you know, struggle <laughs> to relate to a little bit. Like, I don't know. I guess I want to give those guys again, not, not putting words in your mouth, but I, I, I give them benefit of the doubt. I, I'm, I'm more concerned as a fan with a 19 year old, like thinking about, okay, what's my next def- my new defensive coordinator wants to run a defense that looks like this. How do I fit into that versus what I was yeah. recruited into? Like I could see that a little bit more than thinking an Al Washington or a, and, and probably Washington even more so than Combs. The reason I said, I mean, Combs has been around Ohio state and, and I think there's a certain yeah, Combs want, wants, good there's a certain love there. He wants, if he's leaving, yeah. he wants to go out with a W at the Rose bowl, because I'm sure he's more of the ilk that, that you're referring to with just as far as holding the Rose bowl and a certain prestige that maybe a lot of folks, folks in a, in a different generation don't today. Right. So I, I think, I don't know. I, I think Kerry Collins wants to win this game really badly, no matter what, you know, what, what the future holds after that. Maybe, maybe an Al Washington is looking in the mirror even a little bit more to say, Hey, you know, Collins has been hot under the, collar probably for a while just with with his fate really only getting two games right whereas Washington has not been on the staff as long was just courted by Tennessee last year for big money came back and then now here comes a new defensive coordinator that will be his boss if he stays and if he doesn't it could be because maybe he's redundant because Jim Knowles is certainly you know he's coached all three levels but I think linebackers as a position coach is maybe what he was known most for Um, so I I don't know man that's a, a very interesting well, and let's dichotomy of how those guys might approach this game. Well, let's take an off ramp here and talk about that for a minute, because to me, that that's one of the most interesting storylines, not related to the game on the field of the next three weeks two two weeks, really, I guess now is what happens after they hand the keys to the car over to Jim Knowles. It, it seems like the most likely thing is that because as, as you alluded to, it's felt like Gary Combs has been dead man walking since you know late september or mid-september whenever that was uh and and yet at the same time there's a part of me <laughs> because of all the reasons you just alluded to combs history at ohio state and just the kind of guy he is there is a part of me that could see or or maybe would hope that Combs stays on to coach the backfield because he proved to be an exceptionally good mm-hmm. position mm-hmm. coach and recognizes that hey maybe i got peter principled here a bit and Ohio State's going to pay me handsomely to do this thing that I'm right. very, very good at. And maybe Washington's the odd man out. Like now, maybe that's just wishful fan thinking on my part. But but I read things the way that you did. Knowles is known for being a linebacker guy. Why do I need Al Washington? Yeah, I mean, we'll I guess we'll we'll find out where it lands here in due time. The whole Combs things is is interesting for a bunch of different reasons, but I I don't know. I mean, I think other some fans would tell you that, yeah, you're right. Combs, you know, as far as developing some talent in the past and coaching defensive backs uh, has certainly had some success. Others would tell you if you looked at his recruiting the last handful of years, you're seeing more strikeouts than you're seeing, you know, yeah. even doubles kind of thing. Yeah, it's a trade-off um, so, for sure. Yeah. So I think that's interesting because I think once upon a time, Kerry Combs was recruiting, you know, he was, he was bringing in some guys and that, that kind of cooled off a little bit uh, over the last year or two. So, so yeah, it's, I, I don't know. My, my gut says both of those guys are gone, but that, but that is nothing more than nothing more than gut at this point. Well, and there's a part of me that says, given how bad things were, and I have to give the caveat that how bad things were is relative to Ohio State standards, not necessarily to like the real world that normal people live in. Uh, both of those guys have to go. You know, you know, there's if I'm 
if I'm CEO of the organization, head coach, that I got to look and say, hey, you know what? Losing has consequences, and we got our asses handed to us by all of the good teams we played this year. So, <laughs> peace out, homies. I don't know if that's what's going to happen or not, but yeah, this is the storyline. I'm really the non-game storyline. I'm most intrigued to watch over the mm-hmm. next two weeks is what do Ryan day and, and Jim Knowles do from here. All right, let's, uh, let's talk shooty hoops for a minute because I, I would feel like a big idiot if I had you on the show with me and didn't talk about basketball, since you are the in-house expert about all things basketball so tell me how the buckeye basketball team uh was doing this week uh some big games on the schedule how'd they go <laughs> yeah had a pretty uh pretty long layoff there that was breaking breaking news no basketball yeah that was unexpected and uh yeah at least it sounds like you know it sounds like now at least i plan to get it back revved up on december 28th uh against what new orleans i think it is so hopefully after that break it'll, it'll be good but i appreciate that holtman obviously was trying to trace down that kentucky game any way he could and if it wasn't for the fact that suing and towns were out already he, he would have played with six guys if he could so yeah i think the whole you know sure we'll we'll touch on it a little bit here but the the, the break in momentum is probably the main you know the main story right now they, they've already banked enough solid non-conference wins that you got to feel good about you know what they've done so far this year but a chance to play kentucky on a neutral you know on a neutral floor would have certainly been fun to watch as a fan but also give them another chance to to, you know, bank another solid non-conference win after already having Seton Hall and, and Duke in the book. When you look at the the non-conference schedule, you know, I was I was frustrated by that Florida game. I, I know you were as well. Then they come back and man, what a finish against Duke. And what how do you read this team? Where are they relative to your expectations? when you looked at the schedule and, and coming into the season. Yeah, I, th- I mean, they're they're ahead of my personal expectations for sure at this point. I mean, I thought this team had a chance to be pretty darn good, but I thought it would take a, a- you know, a good while for some roles to really shake out and understand who's, you know, really going to be responsible for what obviously EJ Liddell's helped with a lot of that because he's been, you know, he's been playing so great, but um, I thought, you know, it might take a minute to settle into some roles. And I think, you know, with suing being out, I thought, well, okay, that's going to delay that even more. And in fact, maybe that's, what's going to happen is when he comes back, there could be when justice suing does come back, you, you may see a high estate look a little bit out of sorts for a week or two. Um, that, you know, that will be beneficial in the long run, but maybe in the moment when he comes back and settles in, you know, playing 20, 20 minutes and taking 10 shots or whatever it's going to be, that it, that it takes a high state of minute to say, okay, we got to shake everything, you know, we got to re restack everything with who's going to do what, but, but getting back to at least just where a high state sits right now at eight and two, and really, you know, a long three away from potentially being nine and one, that Florida game, that was, I mean, it was tough to watch him lose a game like that, but honestly, that game didn't bother me anywhere near as much as the loss to Xavier that was only a six-point loss yeah. but that game I've never really felt like I don't want I shouldn't say Ohio State what didn't feel like they were in it but it was one of those things where you definitely felt like they were not prepared for that atmosphere the first real road game any of them have played and you know quite some time particularly with COVID last year so that that was the only time where I looked at it and I'm like okay this team just doesn't look like it's got it tonight all these other ones I mean yeah you lost a three at a buzzer after you hit a three at the buzzer the night before or, you know two nights before okay that's fine. That's still a tournament team. You lost two by three. So I, I feel, 
I feel really good about what this team has shown so far um, with, with, especially as the roles are getting defined with guys like Wheeler. I mean, really it comes down to the the shooting guard spot right now, which suing is going to, you know, address in, in, in a pretty big way when he comes back. Um, that's the spot right now. Even if he's not technically the two and he's more of a three kind of thing, that's where you're going to have some stability because right now I think the, the most inconsistency is coming from the off guard spot with Branham and uh, Michi uh, and, and Cedric Russell. Like you got three guys there and Hey, that's great. But they, they seem to be the most unsettled out of, out of everybody else on the team. When I look at um, the advanced analytics and, and Johnny always laughs at me because I, I go to SP plus when I'm looking at uh, football. So I'll dig into the Ken, (laughs) I'll dig into the Ken Palm here, you know, and I'm looking we're looking at the number 15 team by Ken Palm. And you were talking about this the other day with some of the guys, how, how efficient this team has been offensively. Uh, Did you expect that when you look at the makeup of this roster? I mean, the thing we've talked about in previous seasons would be, you know, where's Ohio state going to manufacture shots um, but they've been incredibly efficient offensively this go round. Yeah, they, they have. But I, I think the one thing to keep an eye on there is that they've been efficient by the metric for sure. But the main reason they've done that is they're shooting 49% as a team. I think they shot over 50% in like three or four games in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now that 49.1, at least the last time I looked was good for 18th in the country. And last year they shot 45.9 for the whole season. So they're shooting really well, but if they want to maintain their clip, uh, they're off their efficiency rating on offense, they're going to have to cut down on the turnovers right now. They're like 150. 50th in the country, turning it over 18 times per 100 possessions. And that is a, a sharp increase from last year. Um, I, I think a couple things there. One is the off guard spot. Like I talked about, Michi and Branham are turning it over like crazy compared, you know, relative to the minutes that they're playing and then EJ as great as he's been that's been the one thing that he needs to work on obviously he's got the ball in a face-up position a lot more than he ever has in his career just his usage rate overall is through the roof right now and those are good things for Ohio State that's what you want but he is as much as his assists are up and that's nice he is turning it over I think what three three point three turnovers a game or something like that and he was 1.6 last year so he's he's the guy I think that's got to cut down on that because you can't assume that Ohio State is going to shoot 49% for the year. The fact of the matter is that's probably going to come back to, you know, 46 and change or 47, Mm -hmm. which you'll take that, right? Like you'll still take that. But the turnovers they've got to cut down or they're not going to be as efficient offensively. So I'm sure that's what Holtman is preaching, especially during this downtime, right? Is we we got to get better at making sure that we, we've already proven if we can get a shot off, we 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 got a better shot than most teams to make it, but we can't give away empty possession just with loose handles. Yeah. That's that was one of the things that was so frustrating in the games that I watched was the the, the turnovers and at t- you know they're pretty good defensively at making their own turnovers but sometimes yeah. you would just watch these sequences where it was like Ohio State stole the ball and then coughed it up on the other end of the the other end of the court and you know there'd be this sort of back and forth and it's just like okay guys you just got to tighten it up a little bit don't don't be so sloppy because they they can be pretty opportunistic themselves mm-hmm. as defenders. And then it was just like, you know, in the, some of those tournament games you were talking about, just like bang, bang, bang. <laughs> you watch a good thing happen immediately followed by a very stupid thing. And maybe that's just <laughs> growth and maturation, I guess, that's happening. I, I do feel like this team um, has a number of guys who really understand their role. A- am, I, am I watching that correctly that you, you have? And I don't mean to denigrate role players, so to speak, 
but the guys understand what strengths they bring to the court and how they fit in the big picture of the team. Oh, you know, I, I think for sure. I think that's what Holtman was talking about at the beginning of the year that he himself was probably thinking that was going to, you know, maybe take a little longer. But I, I think Wheeler's a great example of that. And, and role player is definitely not a, a negative connotation in my eyes. You can only have so many stars. Yeah. And, and a lot of these guys, part of the reason they're, you know, deemed a role player is because EJ Liddell is so damn good, right? I mean, you, you know what he can do. But I think Wheeler is the, the perfect definition. Johnny and I talked about it last week, but this guy has fit like a glove for what this this team needed last year mm-hmm. in the offseason people were kind of freaking out when Wheeler was the guy because they all felt like you know a lot of fans felt like they needed someone that could replace Dwayne and you know go for 20 on any given night or whatever but that's not really what the team needed they needed a distributor and they really needed someone that could like defend the point and disrupt the other team's offense and, and that's what you've seen I mean Ohio State's deficient defensive efficiency ranking um, they were number 82 last year in the standings so not not terrible there's over 300 teams but they're up to 51 this year or at least they were a week or so ago before the you know for the little bit of the hiatus here um and I, I think wheeler is central to that obviously you know he he disrupts the other team just even initiating their offense at times beyond steals and metrics that you can see when you're watching the game i think he does a lot of little things to disrupt the opposing team's offense and then offensively the dude's 43 assists to 14 turnovers right now so he's basically three to one uh no one else on the team is anywhere near that so to, to me that that's the role player of role players right mm-hmm. now that is not getting anywhere near the credit he deserves because zed is playing so well and because kyle young is doing you know doing such great things in a six-man role that i think wheeler's getting a little bit overlooked as really being that main difference from uh last year this year at least in my opinion who's i mean what's a what's a role player sticking out to you well, no, I mean, Wheeler's the obvious example. And the other one that I was thinking about, you, you, Arns is your, is your, your long ball shooter, but I've been really impressed at the defense that he's played this year because, you know, in previous seasons, you're like, yeah, if he ain't on, you know, if he's having one of those nights, cause being your three point shooter can be a streaky thing. Uh, if, if he's having a night where he can't hit the ocean, it's like, all right, well, we're just burning minutes here. Right. Uh, but it doesn't feel like you're getting wasted minutes out of him because he's, he's become a competent defender it feels like yeah i I think he's definitely better his and it's a small sample size so far so his his defensive metrics don't necessarily show that they're about flat to last year but i'm with you i've said the same thing whether it's you know just you know playing some help side or you know rebounds here and there that kind of thing i I think he's definitely been a better player he's never going to be you know mistaken for gary payton out there but i think (laughs) that he he's done enough to exactly what you said is true where if he wasn't hitting threes last year it's like well hell get him off the floor there's really no point uh but even offensively I would say I've been a little bit more impressed with his ability to get his shot off. Yeah. Um, you know, he's still only going to be able usually to get a shot off if a play is run, you know, a play is designed for him. He comes off a couple screens and whatnot, but even with a guy on him, his ability to, you know, to rise and fire, I think he's shooting with a little bit more confidence or more willing to take the shot when he's not wide open kind of thing. And he's, you know, he's at 43% right now, which was third in the big 10, you know, again, before Ohio state had to shut it down. So uh, I, yeah, I agree. I think he's definitely shown something where, you know, not going to be mistaken for the best defender on this team, but I do feel like he's improved at that end of the floor. Ohio State eight and two overall, two and zero in the conference uh, ahead of this extended uh, COVID holiday. Now Ken Palm projects this team's final record to be twenty and nine, thirteen and seven in the Big Ten. Is is that 
is that too bearish for you at 13 and seven in conference play, or does that feel about right for as good as this conference is? Yeah, definitely. Um, not too bullish in my eyes right now. I mean, there's, there's a long way to go, but I, I'd like the way this team's playing and, you know, Johnny and I talked about it last week. I don't see a, you know, a huge swoon coming up. I mean, you can't the have January an slump. I mean, yeah, I yeah. mean, like that's got, that's a thing, right? But, and so my guess in all seriousness, while like I kind of joke about the January slump, cause it feels like a perennial thing that's happened recently, this COVID break, I mean, could well lead to that. It, it is, is my concern where they were playing with so much momentum mm-hmm. coming out of those, those big wins at Duke and Penn state and Wisconsin. Yeah, I, I definitely think momentum is real in college sports, and I think college basketball even more so because you get to play a couple times a week if you're not interrupted by something like this, and you get in a flow and you feel good. And again, there's just that you know twice a week reminder of what your of what your role really is. And I I do have some some concerns about that, but I think looking at the January schedule, at least as it stands right now, the only ranked team is Wisconsin, and you got to go to Wisconsin uh, for that one, and it isn't going to be the blowout that it was, uh, you know in the last game that Ohio State played the 7355 uh spanking that they doled out here with EJ having 28 but you know you, you look at the January schedule at Nebraska at Indiana Northwestern at Wisconsin Penn State and Nebraska so you got two Nebraskas in there you got a return game with Penn State at home this time you know Northwestern's a game you should feel pretty good about at Indiana, okay. At uh, Wisconsin, for sure. But I just I don't see the the swoon there. I guess you do close it out with at Minnesota, which is one you know that could be a little dicey playing in that uh, shitty arena with the elevated floor. <laughs> but um, yeah, then you got Purdue after that. So the schedule is going to get tougher. But I don't think the uh, January is unkind. And maybe maybe that's really just what the doctor ordered. Not even because I mean Holtman doesn't have his team sitting here. He's not reminding them about last January kind of thing when they get revved back up. Mm-hmm. It's more of just hey, we need to be playing consistently all the time kind of thing. And knowing that the schedule isn't necessarily a gauntlet, um, you know, coming out of the fact that they haven't been playing games, maybe that will that, that will help them re- regain that. Um, you know, regain that momentum that they had before the break here so that they're not coming back playing, you know, Purdue and Iowa and going to Michigan or something like that, Michigan State. You know, it looks like you got a little bit more of a break there. And hopefully that ramp up will be just what they need to, you know, kind of re-hit their stride, if you will, by the time the the Purdue's and Iowa's and some of the, you know, some of those tougher games come up. Yeah. Okay. We're going to have you back on in January uh to to diagnose the great run that the Buckeyes have had in the conference because so you're not buying you're not buying it I'm, in January. I'm, I'm speaking. I'm I'm <laughs> no. I'm I'm speaking it into existence as oh, okay. as they say. Okay. I, I I'm super high on this team right now, and you and you know I've I've been more of a Holtman stand probably than than some. Um, than I, me, I, you can say I, it. I, I yeah. wasn't going to call you out. That's not my way. <laughs> There's nothing to call uh, me out yet. I'm, <laughs> I like where it's going, and I'm a Holtman fan. But, but, yeah. So so that's I'm 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 saying uh, I'm saying this team. I'm with you 100. <laughs> farther along than I expected, and it's been fun to watch. Um, particularly, you know that that Duke game was just a that was that was a ball. I really enjoyed watching that, and the Penn State game too. The, the, you know, I liked what I saw to Wheeler in that Wheeler in that game. So anyway, I think we're going to have a great. I think we're going to have a great season to talk about. And uh, my promise to the listeners that you will be back throughout the season to talk about it on the show uh, because I always, always, always enjoy talking hoops with you. Uh, I learn something every time. It's kind of like talking X's and O's with Kyle Jones. I I learn something every time 
uh, I have you guys on the show. All right. It is time for ask us anything. One of uh, my favorite parts of this show every week and a good time to remind you that the dubcast is sponsored by the dry goods store at 11 warriors.com hats, t-shirts, stickers, all things for the discerning Buckeye fan can be found at drygoods.11warriors.com. You can send us your questions for ask us anything by emailing dubcast at 11warriors.com or hit us up on ye old Twitter if you are so inclined. All right. First uh, question comes from longtime listener Bryant, who, who asks, uh, you know, with everything that uh, goes on during the off season, now that we're kind of winding down football season and moving toward things that kind of become ongoing jokes, almost to the point of parody uh, during an off season, what's your favorite off season thing that happens every year that makes you laugh when it inevitably pops up on the site again, some examples that Brian cites. Uh, this will be the season we throw to the tight ends more. Uh, the perennial update on where Tate Martell is today. Uh, see the coaching carousel, uh, a quarterback controversy. Will the defense be improved to like 80th in the country? And of course, there's many, many more that you can think of. But what's your favorite offseason thing that pops up every year and makes you chuckle? Man, that's a good one. The 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 tight end one. Was I thought, the one that yeah, I, know, maybe, out to me. I read that. I'm like, oh god, that's so good. There was a there was a year where it was like we talked about the diamond formation. It seemed like two or three years in a row. <laughs> uh, well, for this year, I think it's going to be, you know, will we will Ohio State throw the tight ends will probably probably be there, and which tight end will it be, right? Because Ruckert's going to be gone, and it not not to speak ill of Cade Stover, but I guess I just haven't really seen that move really pay off too much quite yet. Um, but maybe this year's off season is going to be, will this be, you know, is CJ Stroud going to run more next year? That, that may be, that, that might like be a good one. one to, might be a good one to keep an eye on is yeah. Can he run it even three or four times a game kind of thing, just as part of the, you know, the maturation process or something like that. So I, I don't know. We'll see if, if there's a new one this year, um, this off season, that, that might be it is Stroud crowds uh, running intentions but yeah the throwing to the tight end is one that won't die i've actually written articles about that before i'm like i'll write the annual you know will ohio state throw to the tight end because it, it's kind of fun to ponder but um i actually remember writing one this year because i thought ruckert might have a chance to get uh 30 catches in a season which would have been the first time you know since ryan hamby did it in 2004 or whatever the heck God, it was and uh yeah ruckert sitting on i think 23 i was so, gonna say how close is he kind of kind of fizzled out but i think marcus ball had 28 um and what was that 2017 or something like yeah. that that was kind of the high water mark but yeah i doubt record's going to get five in the rose bowl so we could have um, gotten uh the annual quarterback controversy uh post but quinn Ewers decided yeah, to take yeah his, we would have had it with that his, yeah that, that yeah. would have been there because whether or not it was ever actually going to happen i guarantee you people would have been talking about it on on the various for forums and social media sites in Buckeye fandom. Uh, great question, Bryant. Well done. All right, let's move on to another one from longtime listener Alvin, who writes, what is the worst Christmas present you have ever received? <laughs> got any, got any humdingers that jump out at you there, Chris, man, worst. I'm about like just absolute worst, but I, I have run into situations where people just that, you know, that people that love you, like, completely blank out on what size you wear in something. So yeah. like love, love my wife. She's pretty cool, but like, she'll come, you know, trotting in with a large and a sweatshirt or something. I'm like, dude, like I, I 
extra like we've got you know like look at my closet before you go shopping kind of so i, I, I don't know i, I, I wore that last freshman year in the dorms yeah <laughs> no yeah it's just it's not even what the product is it's that the size isn't right it's like come on i mean you live with me you can see like there's there's literally 50 examples of <laughs> sweatshirts or shirts that are extra large kind of thing so that that sometimes is a little baffling but um that may be the one that jumps out but as far as just an awful present i'll have to think about that would you you got one jumping out uh, at you no i don't i'm going to take the complete opposite tack because i'm the host of the show and can do that and say uh the best present i ever got because i want to give extra special love to uh and this is actually this is actually technically a birthday gift i believe because my birthday uh, is four days after christmas so you know growing up mom and dad did a wonderful wonderful job of making sure that my birthday was a separate holiday from Christmas. You know, my, nice. yeah. my birthday presents were wrapped in birthday paper, not leftover mm -hmm. Christmas paper. You know, we did have, there was something special parties were harder because it was during winter break, you know? So it was like, you, you really had to plan ahead to get invitations to people for, I, I did have a few birthday parties when I was elementary school age and so on, but they, they really did a great job of making now the older I get, and, and maybe you're this way too birthday's just another day like i probably will go out to a nice dinner or something right. along those lines but i mm -hmm. like it's not the holiday that it was when we were kids but last year the stunning mrs vance gave me what i think is probably and i've tried to think of something that that topped this but the most thoughtful gift anyone has ever gotten me um i'm a zoo junkie i love animals in general i grew up on the farm love farm animals and from the time i was little field trips to the zoo were always my favorite field trips and when we would go as a family to the cincinnati zoo always a highlight it's just i remember very very fondly going to the zoo and so ever since we've lived here in columbus we've always been members of the columbus zoo which i contend is one of the two best zoos in the country um and last year for my birthday she got me the experience of a lifetime i got to go and bathe an elephant at oh, the zoo nice. yeah. so phoebe who had um uh had a calf this year so was an expectant mother at the time um i got to help with another small group of of folks to give a bath in the elephant house so got to go kind of behind the scenes see you know where the keepers and caretakers work and what they do and and then actually got to help with the bathing process so that was really 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 that's really cool. a super unique yeah that's that's that sounds like i'm not even i mean we're members of, of the zoo we got two little ones so we go you know quite, quite frequently in the in the war, warmer times of the year and, and it is a great zoo obviously but yeah that's that's a, a thoughtful one and like a really cool you know an, an activity a memory versus a hey here's another you know here's another but, something you may not need kind of thing and at my stage in life you know i i don't need much stuff and more often than not the stuff that i do need i just go get when i need it that that's my thing that's why it is tough for like you know i'm picking on my wife on the size or whatever but generally if i want something i get it already and she knows i'm so picky it's like it's not even worth messing with so it's like yeah let's go let's go do something let's go mm -hmm. you know something like that so yeah i'm with you like bourbon right she's like oh i get you but i'm like don't even try <laughs> you know, just don't I've, do it i've because... seen i've seen your collection you you you've got you've got the goods <laughs> yeah so i'm like don't don't go into kroger i mean you could get me something there i could give you some options but just don't right. you know just don't even worry about it let's just let's go to eat or something like you said let's yeah. go experience something thank always we've, we've we've started teaching our daughter about the concept of experiences not things and yeah the value that that yeah exactly yeah. go go create a memory you know go 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 do something fun um 
Yeah. Yeah. Although absolutely. I am having some nice bourbon right now while we're doing the, I, I like that. I'm so my, my cabinet is see, this is fun. Uh, the, the nice thing about having you on, uh, is, is I, I remember when versus Johnny, because Johnny, because of his role as an educator, like we take that pretty seriously. So we don't talk a lot about bourbon or right. I remember when we did the, um, house money series, uh, which was one of my favorite kind of long running articles that we did on the site. And for folks who don't remember that series, basically, the, the staff members made their picks against the spread for like 10 games every week of the college football season. And I, I really enjoyed that. And it was a, was a neat feature that we did for, I don't know, two or three seasons. And I did fairly well, but mm -hmm. I, I suggested Johnny one time. I was like, Hey, let's do that as a feature on the show. Let's make some picks or, or let's do a bourbon of the week. Cause people always like about that. And he's like, mm, you know, not, not something I'm really comfortable doing as a, as an educator, which I right. totally respect. Yeah. You and I can just be total degenerates and talk exactly. about yeah. pooch I, and, and I know what I am. Yeah. That's cats <laughs> out of the bag. So is everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> what are you pouring tonight? If I, if I can ask, actually it's, you know, you, you brought up experiences. So yeah, I do have, you know, quite a pretty, pretty nice roster of, of bourbon in the house. But back in April, I got invited down to Buffalo Trace, uh, a, a buddy of mine who I fr frankly did not know very well. I was amazed he extended an offer. Um, I'm in a small group of guys that have a couple, three common threads. We're all, we're all bourbon fans, obviously, but we're all fans of Grateful Dead and we're fans of the band Fish also. So it's a small little, little group or whatever, but this gentleman, Bill of Upper, uh, Bill Teats of Upper Arlington fame, he um, invited me down to buffalo trace and we did an eagle rare barrel pick so we Ooh. went and sampled four barrels we got to tour the you know tour the facility and was i mean this this was first class right like this doesn't these opportunities don't grow on trees and yeah. we got to go down there and do it and pick the barrels and because of glass shortage and it probably just takes a while to do that anyway like we literally just got the barrel um he just got it like last week so i got my allocation of that and it is a eagle rare barrel select um and we've got our own little you know bourbon head sticker on it um and it's it's delicious i mean eagle rare in general is fine right like i, I like yeah. eagle rare but but picking one where it's the singular barrel not not batched with you know a bunch of other barrels it definitely has a little bit more unique um flavor profile to it and uh, i'm having my first crack actually while we're doing the show tonight so because i just got my bottles this weekend all right and how like how is it give us oh it's, the, it's awesome it's yeah. awesome i mean we actually got this when we were sampling it there you get you get to also sample it before the uh you know then it, when it's in the barrel it's probably like a, i think it was like 122 proof or something uh -huh. like that so it was even a little bit more a little bit more um you know had a lot more going on but it, it's delicious it's 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 great i'm not into all, all the big words to describe it but i'm definitely a fan of uh of this for sure all right. So I've got a bottle of the Eagle rare, just the, the stock 10 year, mm -hmm. um, in my collection. So that, um, so, but, so looking at the Buffalo trace collection, and I'm just going to focus on ones that normal humans might actually be able to obtain. So I'm thinking I've got, you know, the stock Buffalo trace, uh, the Eagle rare, the, mm -hmm. the regular, not the double rare or the 17 or anything like that. Uh, Colonel Taylor bottled mm -hmm. in bond. Um, I have the bottled in bond, not, they make a boatload of EH Taylor juniors, but the, the straight up. And then uh, let's see here. What's the other one. I think I have the, the Weller 12 mm -hmm. and then of course Blanton's. So of those, and these are the ones I would say like a normal human could obtain. In other words, not Pappy. What, what, what favorites among those? 
Yeah, my, my favorite amongst those, without a doubt, is uh, the Colonel Taylor single barrel. It's really good. Um, a little, little hard to get your hands on that as well, especially this day and age. I mean, you can get it if you want to pay secondary prices. And frankly, I'll do that for some of this stuff. But mm-hmm. um, I probably have about, I don't know, 12 or 14 single barrels still laying around here at Colonel Taylor. So that's that's probably my favorite of those products. Like I said, Eagle, Eagle Rare is certainly good. I go up to Michigan to see some relatives and I can find it up there. Usually one out of every you know couple trips if I hit seven or eight spots. Yeah. Um, so I do like that as well. But um, yeah, it's probably... And yeah, Weller, Weller 12 is certainly fine. But yeah, I think out of those, I like the Colonel Taylor, uh, you know, small batch as well. But the single barrel is unquestionably my favorite out of that, uh, out of those ones you rattled off. How, how do you feel about the Blanton's? Uh, Blanton's is fine. I think Blanton's kind of jumped the shark. Like it, it's kind of like the poster child for the bourbon explosion. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. That's, and that's which, why which, I ask, because it's like one of those that there are a couple of these that people really have very strong opinions about. Mm-hmm. And so I was, I was curious about that one in particular. Yeah, I think it's fine. I think a couple things have happened because it is just like exploded in popularity along with bourbon. So like taters are waiting in line and, you know, and waiting in line to get like, that's, that's kind of like for people that have been drinking bourbon for longer than bourbon has been popular this last, whatever it is, five or 10 years or whatever, they kind of turn their nose up at Blanton's a little bit in some ways, but I, I think it's fine. I think it's totally fine. I like it. Uh, I have some, I probably have three or four laying around here, but um, I, I do think it's overrated in the sense that people are paying you know a, a lot of money and waiting outside of stores to pick it up i don't think it's quite that good you, you'd buy um, it at retail but, like but it. you're not going to pay 500 dollars a bottle for yeah it. well and you don't you don't have to do that but like retail would be like 60 bucks right with tax kind of thing yeah Sec- secondary market you're probably paying you know 100 for it so it's not like it's some crazy number but it's just mm-hmm. the fact of you can get a colonel taylor you know small batch for 75 on secondary market instead of 45 retail i, I would spend that all day long over a you know a blanton's for another 25 bucks just just me i would somebody described the weller 12 to me as like the baby pappy or something along those lines because of the similarities in the mash bill i, I have right. to be honest though and having never had the real deal pappy the weller 12 underwhelmed me and mm-hmm. because maybe maybe because i'd read some of the things you're talking about about how people feel about the blantons who have been around bourbon for a minute i, I was i was really impressed with the blantons and the weller underwhelmed me so does that tell me that my palate is 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 just bad and wrong and i don't get it or uh, no i don't, or I don't think just so a, the classic example of your mileage may vary yeah to to me it's uh, to me that's the beauty of stuff like this is that it's you know the the taste is in the eye of the beholder everybody everybody's got a different palate right so Mm -hmm, i -hmm. think weller 12 is fine but yeah i don't think it's worth 200 and you know 230 bottle dollars a bottle on the secondary market i like it i've got some it's fun to bring out when people come over that maybe haven't had some of that stuff it's like hey here try this you know like drink it up kind of thing but um a, a good old just weller antique 107 it's hard to find around here but not impossible i i could have that just as easily as a weller 12 for you know literally a, a quarter of the price and, and feel pretty good about it i will never not curse ohio's antiquated liquor system because you you just can't find this stuff and it drives me nuts yeah you're in the lottery uh, for uh the, the all the btac products this you go know, around you just reminded me i think i've got to remember to submit my thing i may have missed the boat on that <laughs> i knew they were doing the one i got the email that they were doing the last lottery but it drives me crazy they send that email out to remind mm-hmm. you that it's the lottery but they do it like a week in advance and I need to just like set a calendar reminder, like send it the day that the thing opens so I can just go do it then. 
Right. Well, if you get it each time, if you do it each time, it'll, you know, your, your, just your laptop in general or store your driver's license number and all that stuff. It literally takes two seconds. I just totally forget to do it is what, what, oh yeah, I hear you. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. I, I, um, I think I read last year. I think there were like eighty thousand entries, and I mean, it's, what, it, yeah, it's what do they have fifty the bottles. I mean, you're you're not going to win, but you're definitely <laughs> no. not going to win if you don't play. But I will tell you, two years ago, my wife won a bottle of old Rip Van Winkle ten years. So we didn't win Pappy, we didn't win Stag, you know, Stag or any yeah. of the the best of the best. But we earned the right to pay sixty nine ninety nine for an old Rip ten year. And I mean, even secondary oh, market locally in Columbus, you're gonna, you know, it's probably worth nine hundred bucks. So, yeah, that's um, amazing. Was glad to scoop it up for seventy. That's for sure so the the antique collection closed so i did miss that they are doing oh they did about it's over too the they did a bonus lottery for baker's singer single barrel oh yeah yeah i think they've announced they've announced the winners for that baker's is that's that's pretty good stuff uh they did announce it actually they just did they apparently just did let's see well i didn't Uh, get the email so i didn't win i I was (laughs) like i i don't see they i love how they do this they put um, like the first name, last initial, there is no Chris L listed. There is a Chris V. So yeah, well. congratulations, Chris. Oh, and a Chris G and a Chris M no Chris L. So sorry, Bummer. sorry, you lose, you lose. Yeah. All right. Well, let's wrap this thing up with a discussion of the transfer portal, uh, to bring this back around to football, quick cows, uh, defensive lineman, Darian Henry young entered the transfer portal, the former four-star prospect and number 154 overall recruit in the class of 2020 played just two games for the Buckeyes during the regular season. And he's probably going to, I don't know, Cincinnati seems like a reasonable destination. He joins a number of, um, other scholarship players, five so far, Jack Miller, Quinn Ewers, cornerback, Ryan Watts and Craig young. Are you concerned at all about the defections you have seen so far, or is this about what we should just expect from now until doomsday? For yeah, this is portal? this is new normal. This is new normal stuff. Henry Young probably should have went to Cincinnati out of out of high school. For if we're being honest, I mean, you know, tops. Would you say one fifty four or something like that? So yeah. legit recruit. I'm not. I'm not disparaging him at all. But I feel like Cincinnati might have been a better fit even out of the jump. So I, you know, that's not shocking at all when you and you think about the folks that are probably in front of him right now, similar deal, Jack Miller, Quinn, you knew at least, you know, at least one of those guys was going to be gone. I think the Ewer stuff obviously was a little bit surprising. I mean, if it's surprise day, it should surprise us a little bit, but Ryan Watts is not surprising. Craig young after not playing much, um, you know, this year seemed like they just couldn't find a role for the guy. Um, That one was, you know, I get none of those were necessarily shocking where Craig young went was a little shocking. Didn't he go to Kansas? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. That was, Something. see that coming yeah. uh in in the least the thing with the ewers uh, it, and not to belabor a story that's been done to death i i think the thing that bugged me the most about that is that it just left me with the taste in my mouth that was a guy that used ohio state for a paycheck and a punchline and and maybe i'm maybe i'm being too harsh in that mm-hmm. I, I i think one of the things that feels inevitable that i don't want to see happen and i don't really know how you prevent it from happening i don't think you can without going backward in terms of the system and how draconian and draconian and archaic the ncaa traditionally has been is is this situation where you see guys like that come in you know cash a few checks and then you know at the first sign uh, first opportunity they, they they go somewhere else like that 
I don't know, maybe, maybe it really was all on the up and up and it was, you know, it was homesick and so on and so forth, but you know, Texas kid goes, makes big money somewhere else. And then comes back to Texas a year later. I, I did you, were you ever really serious about Ohio state? I, I don't know. Right. I, I don't know. I just, it left me, it left me a little cold. No, nothing about the kid or his, his people maybe is legit, but I, I don't want to see that become a regular thing in college football, not just relative to Ohio state. Um, again i don't know how to prevent it or change it maybe this is just me being old man yelling at sky but it annoys me i I get it i mean it annoys me a little bit too especially if if it was kind of preordained that he was gonna show up for a little bit and plan to leave day was in a tough spot there i mean i think it's been talked about ad nauseum but i I don't think day really wanted him to show up in columbus last august it was just one of those things right you you can't really tell him not to come and and Um, and i and i'd say to ryan day's credit i don't see how he could have managed the situation any differently um, I, I think he did exactly what he needed to do for the reasons you outlined. I mean, that's, yeah, I, I agree. No win I mean, situation for Ryan day. Right. And I've said it a thousand times in different forums, but I, if you're worried about Ryan day's tenure at Ohio state or, or what, okay, I'm not, but, but go ahead. <laughs> but I don't think you should be because of whether or not Ohio state's going to have a confident quarterback while he's here right like no. I, you know we'll see if the defense gets figured out or, or whatever right pick your play, play play calling whatever it is that you might have you know where, where you might be a little sideways with ryan day but hell maybe you're sideways with stroud i don't know but for me i thought he played pretty well this <laughs> year and <laughs> the way he developed haskins and fields like i just i, I i'm not really worried about a high state's quarterback position if anyone uh listening to this program after after some of the comments i've made this season are still sideways with stroud they are very, very dedicated listeners, and I appreciate that because <laughs> I've been pretty unabashed in my commentary about people who gripe about C.J. Stroud, and that's going back to the Oregon game. I was pretty adamant that C.J. Stroud was not the problem with this team, and uh, I think the I think the stats have, have borne that out. I think the, his performance has borne that out. Eh, Heisman finalist. I mean, yeah, he had some opportunities to be better at some times. And even I wish he would have ran a couple times here or there, but I'm not banging the drum that he, you know, just will never run it and that kind of thing. But I think Devin Brown, too, what I've seen on him and what I've read about him, people talking about his makeup and his ceiling and things like that, again, just goes back to I just there's other things to worry about with the highest state than yep. whether or not they're going to have a competent quarterback. I will not be worried about Ohio State's offense until they give me reason to be worried about them. Uh, right now, all of my focus as a cranky fan and podcaster is on the defensive side of the ball. And we'll have plenty to talk about on that score for weeks and weeks and weeks. We got two more weeks yet uh, to talk about the Rose Bowl and then, you know, on into the blessed offseason. And of course, you know, we'll have in two weeks more basketball to talk about which is a good thing very excited about having chris lauderback back on the show in january february and march to talk about this team chris thanks for joining us on the dubcast and filling in for johnny who hopefully will be on the mend and be back with us next week until then i'm andy vance on behalf of chris lauderback this is the 11 dubcast